Hallelujah. 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 Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy word today. I thank you, Lord, that in the 21st century, Lord Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and you will be forever. I thank you for your calling. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you, Father, that we are in the kingdom, all of us. We are in the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, we thank you. Help us to be lights, luminaries, the lights that shine in the darkness, the lights that illuminate the way. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus. And Father, I just pray that your word will penetrate our heart, that it will, it will just saturate us today. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. As we go from this place, let our eyes be lifted upon the fields that are white unto harvest, and let them be lifted, Lord, and know that you are coming soon. When we, when we see all of this, you told us to lift up our head, for our redemption is drawing nigh. Help us to get that sense of holy expectation and to live with that sense of urgency for the harvest is indeed plenteous. But the laborers are few. Oh, Father, hallelujah, help us to enter into your harvest fields. Help us to be effective for you in these last days, in these last times. And we'll give you the praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you about a holy place for holy people, a prepared place for a prepared people. The real issue of the gospel has always been, and it may not seem like it today, but it's whether you're going to heaven or whether you're going to hell, whether you're a child of the Lord or you're a child of the devil. The Bible is very clear. He that committed sin lives habitually in without any conviction, any uh, repentance, is of the devil. I don't know how to put it any plainer than it's written in Scripture. However, you don't hear that much anymore. I've often said if I ever sit down and write a book, and Brother Taylor said that he would buy it uh, if I did. He would like to have the book because he knows we don't just have a, a, a background of study in the Word of God, but we have a background of fleshing this out, living through things where we have applied the Word to our own walk and to our own life. Uh, I believe every Christian has found themselves at some point drifting, not turning away and backsliding. If you didn't turn back and, and pull on the reins on your flesh, we would have all followed through and backslid. Uh, but we feel the pull of this world and we sense the weakness of our own flesh and we need that touch from heaven. I need that fresh oil that Psalm 92 talks about in my life. Uh, he will anoint you with fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. It's not just what happened all those years ago when we got saved and all those years ago. It's not that it gets old and loses its viscosity like motor oil. It, it, it's, we all need a touch, a fresh touch from time to time of the Holy Spirit in our life, especially when the trials come and they come very heavy. Uh, today we have preachers in the pulpit that don't understand. I do not believe they understand what's at stake. Amen. He that believeth on me shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. I said if I wrote a book, one of the chapters would be whatever happened to heaven. 
whatever happened to heaven. Heaven is our homeland. It's where we're going to live with Him and, and forever in the sense that, that we're going to be with Him forever, but heaven isn't going to stay in heaven. The holy city is what makes heaven heaven. Take away the holy city, it's just a, another area of the universe somewhere. But it's the new Jerusalem. It's the holy city that makes heaven. By the way, if our loved ones aren't there, it's not, there there's nothing... Nothing God has done to the city to be greater than the reunion that's going to occur when we get there. I've got a mama that I led to the Lord in a nursing home. She held out for a long time before coming to Christ. And I prayed with her, witnessed to her, prayed for her. And uh, it was getting down near the end of her life uh, when I went in to visit her. And she said, Bobby, I think it's about time that I got saved. And I said, well, <laughs> I think it's about time you got saved too. Are you ready? She said, yes, I want to receive the Lord. And we prayed together. And my wife can testify to this. If you think that you get so set because of years that God can't change your heart, you know, the Bible said he'll take out the heart as it's written, take out the heart of stone, he'll replace it with the heart of flesh. And God did that for my mama. And she was different. She was sweeter, kinder, more loving. And uh, we saw the change. I was privileged to lead my grandfather to Christ. And what a change. That heart of flesh being replaced, that heart of stone being replaced with the heart of flesh. He was in a nursing home as well. Had had a couple of bad strokes. He was a coal mining uh, guy. Uh, he was a hard drinker. He lived hard. He drank hard. Uh, he was just a hard guy to reach. Prayed for him. Witnessed to him. There had been no change. He had a, a spell in the nursing home, and they sent him to uh, Tampa General Hospital. I went to visit him. The nurse said he's not conscious. Don't know if he'll regain consciousness. He's had another stroke. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, let him regain consciousness so I can talk to him about his soul. Wake him up so I can talk to him about his soul. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched God do these things until I have absolutely no doubt. I don't listen to the doctors anymore when they say he won't because there's the things that are impossible with men, the Bible said, are possible with God. And then it goes to another level of our faith in that truth and that fact. It says, and, and the thing, the, what, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, and nothing shall be impossible to him that believeth. Hallelujah. So I walked in the room, and when I walked in the room, I didn't have to shake him. I didn't have to do any more praying. He sat up, lucid, eyes wide open, and he said, I was waiting for you to come. God had prepared his heart. Amen. I said, are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? Amen. And get out of here? He said, I sure am. And got to lead him in the sinner's prayer. He accepted Christ as his Savior. They sent him back to the nursing home. He didn't live a whole lot longer, but he lived a whole lot better. And he lived long enough to be a witness of the change that had occurred in his heart. Amen. God took out the heart of stone, and he replaced it with the heart of flesh. Amen. Make no mistake about it. Salvation involves a miracle of God. It's called regeneration. Something occurs. If any man be in Christ, he's not the old man made over. He's not the old man made better. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Can you say amen?
there is fruit that indicates that salvation has occurred. And the fruit is in that life and that new attitude. <laughs> and the nurses before that he came to the Lord, they hated to go wait on him. Because he was, he was active all his life. He was a strong man, active all his life. And, and he just got so irritated that he couldn't do all he used to do. And he just took it out on everybody around him. And he cursed them when they come to help him. And they didn't want to go in his room. And my mama went to see him when he, before I got to see him after he came to the Lord in the hospital. And said, she told me, said, when she walked in the door, two nurses came up to her and said, what has happened to your daddy? She said, what do you mean? Said, well, none of us used to want to take care of him. Because... And she finished it, said, because he really got mean, didn't he? And they said, yeah, he really did. But what has happened to your daddy? He has changed. He is so sweet. He is so kind. He is so patient with us and it allows us to be more patient with him. And, 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 and what has happened to him? Well, you see, my mom didn't know what happened to him. But they were telling her something's happened. And when she went and talked to him, something has happened. And when he went to the Lord a few months later, he went with peace in his heart. Amen. He went with, with, the, with the full assurance that his sins were forgiven. And we had the full assurance that salvation had occurred because a change had come. Now, when we start preaching salvation without a change... It's not earning it. It's not a salvation by works. But when we're saved by grace through faith when salvation occurs a change comes i don't know who the doctor was but in south africa a doctor was the first doctor to take a heart and put it in transplant it into another person's body and that person live that is on record scientifically as the first heart transplant but i'm going to tell you that's really not it is the first person who got saved after the cross. Can you say man? Because God does something in the human heart. It is a work of the Spirit of God. It is not the work of religion. Come on, religion can't change you from the inside out. It might change something on the outside. But the change that He makes is from the inside out. And that's why the Bible said work out, not work for. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let that that has occurred in your heart begin to work out into your life, your values, your morals, everything you do, everything you say. Can you work it out? Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So I, I love to see people that really get saved. I do not believe in salvation without repentance. I don't believe you can stay a servant of Satan and get God's grace and forgiveness. I believe you have to change the road you're on. I don't believe in cheap grace. I don't believe in universalism. Amen. I believe the Bible as it is written. And I believe that everyone who is truly saved is going to the holy city. Think about the new Jerusalem. It's not staying in heaven, wherever heaven is up there. John said, I saw it coming down. 
I saw it coming down. It, first heart transplant. What is the doctor's name? Christian Bernard. Christian Bernard. There he is. He thought he was first. Poor guy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We'll have to inform him that Jesus has been doing this for over 2,000 years. And he's still doing it today. Praise God. All right, listen to me carefully. The, the, the New Jerusalem is coming down. It is a city that God has prepared for a prepared people. Jesus said it well in John's Gospel, chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Now, before you start seeing uh, columns and, and stonework and beautiful windows and, you know, I don't know what your concept of a mansion is. But whatever it is, this is way beyond that. Got to be way beyond that. The word mansion in the Greek is an abiding place. I go to prepare a place for you. And your citizenship in that place is the proof of your salvation. If you can walk into that city, amen, you're saved. And how do you know if you're going to get into that city? What if, what if Peter, Peter's always the one guarding the gate, isn't he? Every story I've ever heard, Peter is assigned to stand at the gate. So a man comes to the gate, and, and Peter's standing there, and of course they always use Peter. I don't know, they never use the rest of them. They always use Peter. And the guy says, oh, I'm so glad to make it here. I am so glad. And so Peter says, okay, by what right do you have to enter here? He said, well, he said, I have been a philanthropist. I made a whole lot of money, and I kept a lot for myself, granted, but I gave a whole lot away. And I helped so many people, and I did this, and I did that. Peter said, you don't say. That's really great. That's worth ten points. Ten points. He said, well, listen, I've not only done that. He said, I've seen people broke down by the road. I pulled over. I paid to have them towed to, a, to a, a mechanic. And I left a check for their car to be repaired. I love to help people all my life. I did good things. I was such a good guy. I mean, there's no doubt that I can enter. He said, you know, that's really wonderful. That's worth ten points. And they went down the list till he accumulated fifty points and finally he's exasperated he's run out of good things to tell about himself and he says how many points does it take to get in here anyway and Peter says oh about a million and he said in that case nobody can come in here except for the grace of God And Peter said, come on in. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not of works lest any man should boast. 
And there are people boasting in their own righteousness. Paul said that being found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, which simply meant you have to keep the law perfectly to have your own righteousness. And nobody could. And that's why the Bible said the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It is to convince us of our need for a Savior. I'm still running upon people that think that you can live holy enough to be worthy to go through the gates of that city and eat of the tree of life. That you can have it that together. And I'm going to tell you something by the word of the Lord. You're not going to heaven on that. Nobody's going to heaven on that. If you could keep the law perfectly and go to heaven because you never broke it, By the way, while we're talking about the law, listen to me carefully. He that offends, one point. One point. One point. You don't have to break nine of them. Eight of them. Seven, six, five, four, or three, or two. Only one. He that offends in one point. Now this is from God's perspective. You may think you're pretty good because you never killed nobody. Well, I hope you haven't killed anybody. And you are pretty good. You may think you're great because you never committed adultery. Until you get in the Word of God and find out to look upon a woman to lust after her. You've already committed adultery in your heart. From God's perspective, you say, well, if I've already committed my heart, I'll just go ahead and do it. No, 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 no. God don't play that. No, you can't do that. devil may tell you that. He's telling you a lie. If you're a real child of God, He chastens every son that He loves. He scourges everyone that He receives. But the Bible said, don't you faint when you're chastened of Him. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. If, if He lets you go your own way, you would go into destruction. Amen. But He chastens you that you might receive instruction. I don't know about you, but when I'm under his... Oh, you, brother, what did you do? Well, it's none of your beeswax what I did. Amen? All I have to do is not love God with all my heart, soul, mind, spirit, and strength. It's the first and great commandment. He said, if you break one, you're guilty of the whole law. So if you're going to heaven by living the law perfectly, you're not going to heaven at all. Because you can't do it. Because if you could do it, He didn't have to go to the cross and bear your sin. He didn't have to pay that sin debt for you. Because you could live that sinless life. We had a man tell us, you know, without holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Absolutely, I agree with that. Holiness is not never, ever sinning between here and heaven. It's not what makes you holy. It's the blood of Christ. It's the Word of God received and applied to your life. Listen to me carefully. He literally said, Be ye holy as I am holy. He's right. He was dead right. But see, the problem is, he was on a tightrope, and he tried to walk it, and he had the biggest failure This is when we were young Christians. He had the biggest failure of anybody that we knew in our church family. 
he committed some of the greatest sins because he put himself and tried to put everybody else on that tightrope. If you're walking a tightrope right now, trying to be Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect, because God said, be you perfect because I'm perfect, and you think you can be that perfect, that very attitude is a sin. It's a sin of pride. And in our first experience in church, there were people so proud of their sinlessness until we got to know them. Amen? They looked so holy in church. I mean, they looked like they were just, you know, going to glow any minute and sprout wings until we got to know them. And when we got to know them, we saw their flawed vessels, their cracked pots. Scripture said, and I'm not, listen, I'm not soft on sin. If you hang out here, you'll find that out. And I never will be. But let me tell you something else too. Amen. I, I understand and appreciate the grace of God that saved me and that is offered to you and me. And that sufficient grace will keep you. Amen. Hallelujah. You can live in victory, but you can only do it by the grace of God. You can't do it any other way. You say, Brother Bimbo, what about the power of God? What about it? What about it? The charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. I know many tongue-talking people that are not living in victory, that have fallen and their fall was great. They accused Jimmy Swaggart who fell, no secret, who came back to the Lord, who was restored with his family. He began to preach the cross and the grace of God so much that the man who was so strong against sin and should have been was accused by other ministers of being into that hyper grace. You know what hyper grace is? Don't matter what you do. You're saved, that's it. Forget about it. Live for the devil your whole life. You're going to heaven anyway. It's baloney. It's foolish. But without the grace of God, you can't even get saved. And without the grace of God, you can't stand. The Scripture said our sufficiency is of the Lord. And when I am weak, then am I made strong. I am what I am, Paul said, not because I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. Not because I've been to third heaven and seen unutterable things. I am what I am by the grace of God. Can you say amen? Take that grace away from me and I can't stand when I was... When I was weakened by the emissary from the devil that was sent to buffet me, he prayed three times and God said, no, no, no. No answer. And then God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So many people got the Holy Ghost and didn't think they needed grace anymore. Amen? Come on, we've all been in this circle. We know how this works. It might have happened to you for a season until you fell on your face. And God had to pick you up. If God didn't pick you up, you couldn't stand. And when He picked you up, that's the grace of God. I am what I am. By the grace of God. You say, Brother Venable, what is the secret to a 54-year marriage? With all the pressures of ministry on top of that. Well, I could tell you, love. I'm so in love with the woman. 
And of course, the woman is so in love. Yes, love is a foundation for our marriage. But the reason that the devil's not able to put the wedge in, and the reason that he's not able to tempt us and, and, and get us to, to blow this wonderful relationship that's so sacred to God, and so many people don't see as sacred anymore. By the way, the divorce rate among Christians, and it's a forgivable sin, but it is a sin with such far-reaching consequences. Amen. People don't even believe that you can live in victory anymore. They don't see victory portrayed to them, and they believe we just have to keep getting forgiven. I listen to Christian music today, and the modern Christian music, and you know what? Everybody's talking about what a failure they are, and what a mess up they are. But God, I know you love me anyway. And there doesn't seem to be victory anywhere. I love the song that says, Victory in Jesus. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory can you say amen thanks be unto God which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord hallelujah because there's victory in Jesus so where's the victory we used to have marriages that represented victory Christian community can't say it anymore. Statistically, Christian marriages fall on the same percentage as non-Christian. The devotion to Christ is not there like it used to be. It used to be a given if you get saved, you follow Jesus. We didn't just get people in church, we made disciples unto Jesus Christ. You knew when you went to the altar, you couldn't get up and run with the same crowd. Can you say amen? You couldn't just get all gussied up for church on Sunday and put on the role of righteousness and go right out with the same old crowd and do the same old stuff. You knew it when you got saved. I'm so glad this man got saved. And I'm so glad he's honest about the pull. Of where he used to be, but when he got saved, he still felt a pull. But he said, that's not, that's not my element. That's not where I live anymore. That's not the me that I am today. That's the me that I used to be. Now, therefore, somebody say now. Somebody say right now. Now say right now. Don't know if you've heard this or not, but every time I get new people... Two people are filling out a job application, desperate need for work. One of them looks over at the other and said, how do you spell rat? He said, R-A-T, why? He said, because it asks when can you start, and I'm going to put rat now. Can you say amen? Right now, right now, 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 therefore. Romans 8, verse 1, 2. Now, therefore, now, therefore, now that you're saved, now that you're born again, now that you're sanctified, now that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you, now, therefore, that the blood of Jesus has been applied, not just supplied by Jesus, but applied by faith. Hallelujah. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk. 
after the Spirit and not see the change has come and not after the flesh. I battle with my flesh, but there's victory over that weak part of my life in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? There is victory. There is victory. We don't see it everywhere, but it exists today. God promised to give it to us. Now, therefore, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. One translation says the vicious circle of sin and death that that enslaved us. Hallelujah. That we were wrapped up in those chains. Those chains have been broken in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. Hallelujah. And the change comes. And if the change hasn't come, and by the way, we live in a culture that wants to pull everybody into it. The Christian community has to begin to walk to the beat of a different drum. Amen. Peer pressure doesn't stop with high school. It doesn't stop with college. It goes on to your workplace. When you're more concerned about being applauded and received by the people you work with than the Christ who died for you. You're on dangerous ground. You're on dangerous ground. And not only in the people you work with, but there are churches that have become so liberal that you can live in sin that God has said would damn your soul and be told that you're saved. And there's peer pressure among Christians who are not living for God. Oh, come on. I went to work. I was bivocational for a while. I worked for Tampa Electric before I went into full-time ministry. And out on the job, we'd get done. The guys liked me, and I liked them. I loved them. I prayed for them. And they told me after work, they said, they said, Robert, Robert, we're all going to go out and have a drink after work. Friday, we're going out to have a drink. Come on and go with us. I said, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. I, I can't do that. I don't drink anymore. Right. Just, you know, thank you for the invitation. I just don't do that anymore. Amen. And then they turned on me. On. And they turned on me hard. And they called me, do you think you're better than us? I said, no, I know I'm not better than anybody. But I have accepted Christ as my Savior. And I just don't drink anymore. And they laid it on me in terms of persecution. Until my last day with Tampa Electric before I came to the Holy Church of God 43 years ago plus. My last day with Tampa Electric, they knew I was leaving. And they said, Rev, I bet you pray for us, don't you? And I I said, yes. I do. I pray for everybody on this line crew that I'm a part of and everybody at this plant. And they said, Rev. And they gathered around me. And they said, Rev, you're not going to be here anymore, but would you continue to pray for us? And I said, yes, I certainly will. And I pray for their salvation. I'm praying for those 
blinded eyes to come open. But you see, for them to ask for prayer, after categorizing me as some kind of self-righteous, holier than thou, just because I don't... They told me, listen, come, we, you, can have a, you can have a Coke. Just come with us. I said, I can't go in there. I'm a, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I just can't go in the place. And I'm no better than anybody, but I am saved. Jesus is my, my, my Savior. Jesus is my Master. Jesus is my Lord. If you will hold your ground, stay humble, and keep praying for people, the same people that persecuted you, one day will respect you for your walk with God. Amen. National Day of Prayer, I told you about it. We're coming up on it again. Is it Thursday of this week? National Day of Prayer. I'm on a line crew. My line foreman, as I told you, he was, he was tough as nails. He just, I mean, he's just one of those guys. I told you, he cut his thumb wide open. He said, Rev, I cut my thumb. You got anything to put on it? I said, you don't need something put on it. You need stitches. That thing is wide open. He said, I ain't got time for no stitches. And I went and got some gauze and I wrapped around it and I put a band-aid around the gauze and put a band-aid on the band-aid and the blood came through that and I gave him an old rag to wrap, wrap around all of that I said you need to go get some stitches in that thumb ah I need no stitches ah I thought infection and you know anyway he just germs I guess were afraid of him he <laughs> was that bad that pretty bad when the germs say oh no no I don't want to go in there <laughs> and he worked for three weeks with old stuff around his thumb and, and it healed up and he's just tough and he just that's the way that he was tough hard guy we were getting ready to go out on the job. I remember it was out on Highway 60. And he said, he said, Rev, it's a national day of prayer. America is in a mess. I, re- I reckon we ought, to, we ought to pray. I said, a good idea. You know, on the job, you're not allowed to do all these things. He said, but this is my foreman. This is my boss man. He said, when we get out on the job, would you lead us in prayer? I said, I absolutely will, sir. And I thought, Lord, ain't you something? Been praying for these people. Hard-hearted, hard-drinking, hard-living men. And here's one of the hardest drinking, hardest hearted, hardest living. And he's wanting to pray. God must be doing something in that old heart. God must be doing something in that old heart of stone. There must be something softening that old stony heart. Amen. One day they got to me. Has anybody ever become angry and sinned not? But you did become angry? didn't say not get angry because that's impossible. There's no super state of sanctification where you will, nobody will ever make you mad. 
Amen. I see a bumper sticker said, Honk if you love Jesus. I rarely honk. Even though I love Jesus. Because I don't know if they're sanctified or not. They might think I'm honking for them to get out of the way and lose the victory. And <laughs> take it out on me. Amen. We got out on Highway 60 near Mulberry. Nine o'clock in the morning when we arrived to run wire. Met with a man going to help us from the Tampa yard. Came out there with us. We all gathered around for the tailboard. How are we going to do this? How's this job going to run? And then we all go do what we're supposed to do. He gave the tailboard. He said, Not another day of prayer. I've asked Robert to lead us in prayer. If you don't want to pray, go on right now. Now, I'm going to tell you, nobody moved. <laughs> nobody moved. <laughs> but you know what? I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And when I said Jesus, you could feel a holy awe come down out there by that busy highway in broad daylight. You could just... I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And, and I, you know the Bible said to watch and pray? I wanted to see what, what, what they were doing, how they were responding. When I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, and I peeped, they were taking off their hard hats, and they put them over their heart. And I thought, Lord, 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 I could not make this happen. I couldn't push anybody towards you, but the Holy Spirit... I could feel him out there on Highway 60 by the road. And when he begins to tell, I call him the hound of heaven with deep respect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he began to touch those men with anointing that's in this room right now. It was just as strong behind, beside Highway 60. Praise God. Make no mistake about it. When souls are at stake and when God is trying to talk to people about their need for salvation and a Savior, the Holy Spirit gets excited. Hallelujah. Praise God. God. He does not hold back. Amen. You don't have to pray, send the fire. The fire is going to come. It's going to come. You start witnessing to somebody, it's going to go way beyond your head. It's going to start in here and you'll feel it coming up. Praise God. It starts in here. Out of your belly. Not out of your intellect. Not out of your intelligence. But out of your innermost being. Out of your spirit man within that's been reborn. Where he resides. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And I've never felt that flow more strongly than when I'm able to bear witness to his goodness and graciousness and truth. And someone has a heart prepared to listen. They started listening because they were told to listen. But they ended up listening because the Holy Spirit began to touch them. And as we prayed by Highway 60, when I said, in the name of Jesus, once again, Amen. Everybody went to do their job and there was a hush. And there was a man that came up to me that had come to meet us from Tampa. Again, a God appointment wasn't an accident it was that man he had finished two tours in vietnam and he had seen so much carnage and death he had left 
his faith. How could a loving God let something like this happen? He had lost his faith, left his faith. But he came up to me and he said, Rev. He said, and told me that quick story. He said, but today, I sensed God's presence. After years, I sensed His presence. And I know it's not what God wanted for man. It's what the devil has done. See, it all opened up when he came into the presence of God beside Highway 60 at 9 o'clock in the morning because a grumpy old boss man. (laughs) Keep it sanctified. And I think we need to pray. Well, who put that in his heart? How did anybody get him in that? Of all the people out there, God got a hold of him. Oh, the hard cases. The people that you think God can't reach or don't want to reach. These people. No, honey, grace is flowing. The door of the ark is open. And he's still saying, come, 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 come. Let let the church say come. Let he that heareth say come. Hallelujah. Come and drink of the river of life freely. And this man said, listen, he said, there's a church near me. He said, I hadn't been in church in years. But he said, Sunday, I'm going to get my family up and we're going to church. They didn't come to our church. That's not the issue. The issue is a man is finding his way back to his faith in God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord because he was exposed to the presence of God. Oh, I believe in God's presence. I believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe there's any theological graduate from any theological institution that can do what only He can do. Uncle Bud Robinson grew up and preached in West Virginia. He had little theological training, but he loved the Bible. God called him to preach and anointed him. Anytime he appoints, he anoints for whatever he appoints for. So Uncle Bud Robinson won thousands to Christ with little theological training, but a holy anointing from God. Not only didn't he have a big vocabulary and and, and didn't have a high education, but he had a lisp. He spoke with a lisp. So it was comical to hear him speak. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, my speech is contemptible. My letters are weighty. Look at somebody and say, I'll say. And you say, man, hallelujah. 13 of the 27 books if you count Hebrews. He wrote. But Uncle Bud Robinson would say these colloquial things like, you know, he said, if you get the real joy of Jesus, if you get the real joy of Jesus, said, God will turn your honey bucket over. And said, every guy and gal in the, in the, in the community, said, they'll come buzzing around you <laughs> to find out why you're so joyous. He would just use all those sayings. He'd say it with a lisp. And some high up people would hear about the meetings and they would come to make fun of him. They would just come to say, what an, what an ignorant 
guy he is. What an uneducated guy he is. What a backwoods guy he is. And they would come to make fun. But as he preached Christ and him crucified, somewhere down in that message, the Holy Spirit would come and convict them. And people that came back in that day, that came with with tuxedo-like outfits and ladies and gowns from the high, from the first church. By the way, there's some church people. Just because they go to church don't mean that they're saved. Just because they go to church don't mean that they need not get saved. Can you say amen? And the Holy Spirit, He knows. He will come. And here they would come to an altar, kneel down, weep their way in through repentance to the Lord. What a gracious and mighty God that we serve. But when we try to do this without the Holy Spirit convicting, convincing when He's come, He'll convince the world of sin. He will convict is the Greek word. And He does it so very well. Our target is the mind. His target is the heart initially. But the God of this world has blinded the minds of men. There's nothing like the presence of God to begin to cause illumination to occur. And illumination brings transformation. Hallelujah. And restoration. It's an incredible work of the Holy Spirit. When you see the glory of the gospel. The Bible said the God of this world blinded the minds of men lest they would see the glory of the gospel and get saved. That means every time the gospel is preached, spiritual warfare is occurring. And if there's no one lost in this room, this gospel is going up on the web. This gospel is going on the radio. This gospel is going from here somewhere. And it's going where God is sending it. Hallelujah. Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent His Word. He sent His Word. He sent His Word. And healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Praise God. Hallelujah. Got a call years ago. You know this in our congregation. Years ago from, uh, is it London, Kentucky? The capital is Lexington. No. Frankfurt. Well, this is from Lexington. They told me, you are preaching the gospel in the jail system in Lexington. I said, really? I'm preaching in Lexington? Yes. None of us are called to preach, but we want to bring the gospel to those behind bars in our city. We have access to hold a meeting on Sunday afternoon. And we have your tapes. I don't know how they got them. To this day, I don't know how they got them. But they had, back in the day of cassette tape, they had tapes of the Sunday morning service. And they said, we play the tape. And when the tape is done, we make the call and pray with those that want to come to Christ. Just thought you'd like to know, Pastor, you're preaching in the prison system in Lexington, Kentucky. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. And you know when these things come in, it's when I'm not seeing a lot of fruit and I'm preaching to the choir and I'm feeling kind of low. And then something will occur. Something will happen to let me know. This gospel is powerful. Hallelujah. And it's going places that you could never 
get it without my help. Praise God. Amen. So I got a call again. Maybe it's because I'm from Kentucky. I don't know. This came from Kentucky again. A little town. I forget the name of the town in Kentucky. But a lady called. Said, "My, my, our church just split. Pastor had a moral failure. They padlocked the door on the church and we can't even have a service anymore. Going to sell it. We're all going to scatter. Don't know where we're going to go to church. My husband is a truck driver. He stopped at a truck stop somewhere in Texas and somebody handed him a brown paper bag with 21 cassette tapes in it. And instead of listening to six days on the road and I'm going to make it home tonight, you know, on his radio. Amen. Give me 40 acres and I'll turn this rig around. Amen. He wasn't listening to what he usually listened to. He put in 21. Can you imagine coming from Texas to Kentucky listening to our Sunday morning services? You either got to get saved or throw that stuff out the window, one or the other. Something's going to happen. Amen. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Come on. You you can't be neutral if God's Word gets inside of you. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Glory to God. Let me finish this sermon quickly. It's like the rain, Isaiah said. It's like the snow that comes down out of heaven that watereth the earth. Everybody say cause and effect. Cause and effect. Cause and effect that watereth the earth and causes it to bring forth and to bud. So shall the word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It will accomplish that that I want it to accomplish. It will prosper in the thing to where I sit it. Can you say Amen. Hallelujah. Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season. This is powerful stuff. You don't need to be so highly educated. You don't need to be so eloquent. You need to get my word in you and get it through you to whoever God sends it. 21 tapes. He was backslid, but he frontslid between, have you ever heard that term? Get used to it because God's Word is quick and powerful. Can you say amen? Somewhere between Texas and Kentucky, he rededicated his life to Christ. And when he got home, he was all fired up. He told his wife, he said, honey... He said, let's invite our brothers and sisters as many as we can. I know we're all broken hearted and discouraged, but, but listen, let's have a Bible study in our home. Invite as many as we can. And so about a dozen came. And you know what he did for the Bible study? He said, here, we'll comment on this after it's over. And he put the tape in. Let it play. Word of God. It's not me. It's got to be the Word of God. Who are you? I'm just me. Word of God is the Word of God. Never back up or say it's no, no big deal. It's the biggest deal there is. Praise God. Hallelujah. Someone said if you're called to preach, it would be a step down to become the President of the United States. 
I'll say. Can you say amen? They did that for two weeks. They listened to those tapes. The man is on fire. He's rededicated. And when a man gets on fire, amen, when the husband is the one that says, we're going to go on for God. Church is one thing, preacher is another thing, but Jesus is still Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. She said, I had a back problem. I was on pain medication. It had made me bed fast. Said on the second week, they gathered around my bed after listening to the word. They laid hands on me. They all anointed me with oil. God healed my back. And I got up and danced around that room. And when other people heard about it and saw what God had done in her and him, they come together and said, we can't let this church go. God will send us a pastor. But he's already visiting us. We're the church. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Somehow or another, they, they, they met the budget. They opened the doors. God sent him a wonderful man and his wife to be their pastor and said, we'd just like to let you know, Brother Venable, that you were our pastor until we got one in Kentucky. And I thought, Lord, here you go again. There you go again. Can you say, man? There you go, sending your word, sending your word, sending your word, sending your word. One more. I'm bragging on the word and I'm bragging on God. Hallelujah. Listen, one more, one more, one more. I got a letter. I had preached a message in Polk City because I went through nervous exhaustion and only the grace of God. Only the grace of God, only the grace of God got me through that. I never had to miss a service. I never had to miss a pulpit appointment. But afterwards, I would go home, and I can't tell you all the stuff I went through, but I went through it. I gave my testimony of how God got me through it, how weak I was, and how good He was, and what I learned in that deep valley. And I got a letter from Indiana this time. A pastor, I mean an evangelist in Indiana. And it said, Pastor Venable, I went through something that was so bad. And I didn't know where God was and why He let it occur. And I told him, I can't be of any use to you. I can't continue to preach. He said, I wrote my letter of resignation to my denomination to the overseer and I said I can't preach anymore he's like Jeremiah in the dungeon he said but I heard your testimony of what you went through and how God's grace brought you through and he said I heard you speak honestly and candidly about your own pain and pressure and your own doubts and fears during that time and God's faithfulness. And he said, I want you to know that I'm not going to turn in my resignation. That I'm not going to quit preaching Jesus and Him crucified. 
that I'm going on with God and I'm going on with my ministry. And then down at the bottom, he put a P.S. if it's any consolation. And I thought, brother, any consolation. If it's any consolation through your pain, I have been healed. In other words, he brought you through. And it gave me courage that He can bring me through. You were in a deep, dark valley. But you discovered the lily of the valley. He didn't say all of that. But that's what that testimony testified of. I learned more about Jesus in the valley than I ever learned on the mountaintops. Hallelujah. I discovered more about grace. Grace isn't a license to sin. But it is what we desperately need to keep us from sin. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 power of God would come on me to preach, and nobody would believe I had an issue. David said it this way, By thee, O Lord, I've run through a troop and jumped over a wall. By thee, O Lord. The anointed is powerful stuff. But without the grace of God, it doesn't matter how much power there is. Paul had power, but he needed grace to be sufficient to sustain him when the trouble came. And he learned about that. Now, I haven't read about the Holy City yet, so open your Bibles to... No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If we're not done now, there's no... How many know what the message was mostly about? It's about the true grace of God and how essential it is to our salvation and to our sufficiency. Paul put it this way, depending on grace and not the charismata, not the power in and of itself. The grace to stand so you can release that power is essential. I've watched too many tongue-talking people lose the victory. Too many people who prophesied to others fail and fall. Too much defeat. Too much depression. Too much distraction. Too much destruction. Breaks my heart as a pastor to watch lives become shipwrecked and see people fall out under His power. Speak by the Holy Spirit and still become defeated in their life. There's one essential they're missing. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Nothing worse than a Pentecostal full of the Holy Ghost that don't know how to receive the grace of God in their life. Depending on their ability to preach to others. Talked to my son yesterday going through it. Been going through it for a long time, my oldest son. Getting overwhelmed by life. I was in a meeting with Robert Gass. And I'm going to close with this. Robert Gass and Neil Gass, his brother. First time I met them, I went to Maine to perform a wedding. Before the mega churches were around, there's a Pentecostal church in Maine that 1,500 people attend. What amazed me was when I asked him, I said, I said, when it gets so cold, and snow and ice. How many people come during the dead of winter? He said, 1,500. I said, you mean you don't have, you know, people say it's too, the weather's too bad, it's too brutal. He said, no, we put chains on our tires. 
and galoshes on our feet, overshoes, and they come. He said they're hungry. He said you in the Bible Belt and below the Bible Belt where we are. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt, I guess, down here in the south. He said you've had it. You've had the visitation of God and the gifts of the Spirit in your Pentecostal churches, but said up here, We've just had those old line churches that sang them same old songs and did that same old thing. And when the Holy Spirit began to fall, amen, people got excited. People got hungry. See, there's nothing like the presence of God. There's no program of the church that can supplant the presence of God. Hallelujah. I was amazed by it. He took me to a room. You go in the foyer, and then I looked at a room, and this huge room. I said, what is this for? Because it had shelving around it. He said, this is for the overshoes. If you've got 1,500 people coming, that's 3,000 pair of shoes. Can you say, man? I said, wow. They come in that kind of weather? You know, we got holy rollers down in the south that wake up on Sunday morning and have a holy thought and roll over. Can you say, man, it's different. We need what you've got. We need that spiritual hunger. Everything keeps us out of church. I mean, you know, it's cloudy today. It might rain. You won't melt. Guarantee you will not melt. I know you're sweet as sugar. But you won't melt. <laughs> Amen. But when you get hungry and thirsty for more of Him and more of His Word, more about Jesus we used to sing, would I know more of His praises would I show, more of His glory, more of His grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. So in Bangor, Maine, I saw spiritual hunger. And Robert Gass came to the 700 Club or the PTL Club his ministry was exposed to the world. He became an international evangelist. And he had his own television station in Atlanta. He preached in other nations. He was booked up for a year ahead. And he thought, my dream as a minister has come true. He was always getting on a plane, going somewhere to preach and hold a meeting. His relationship with his wife and children began to deteriorate because there was no time for them. There was no balance in the ministry. The pressure of making a live television broadcast or several in his studio before he went to other places and they would videotape them and run it in Atlanta. He said the pressure got so bad. He said, I know you might find this hard to believe, but I would go to my closet to pick out a tie and coat to wear for the TV broadcast. And I would start weeping. It overwhelmed me. I was so burnt out and fatigued trying to match a tie with a coat just to make that little decision was overwhelming. But he said, I pressed on. My marriage is breaking down. I'm really alienated from my wife and children, but I'm going for God. I'm anointed. People want to hear me. I'm going. He said, I got on a plane to Italy, and it was all breaking down. And he said, I went out 
for a walk before that evening service, wondering, am I going to be able to hold up to even preach? I walked to a fountain, and it was where a movie called Three Coins in a Fountain was filmed. And he said, I stood at the fountain, and God spoke to me. And he said, look, son, look at the source of water for this fountain. Three lions, heads of lions with water pouring out their mouth. These powerful beasts pouring water, pouring. He said, son, this is my ministers. Always pouring out. Always pouring out. Never stopping to drink. He said, son, he, well, he didn't have to tell him anymore. He said, I knew exactly what he was saying. He said, I asked him for grace to keep that appointment that evening, but I canceled the future appointments. I first went and reconciled with my wife and my family. And told them, I don't know how we're going to work this out, but I can't be on the road all the time as a married man and a father. There's got to be some answer from, and there is an answer from God. There's got to be a balance. And he said, and you know what? He said, I just want to spend some time alone with the Lord. Not preparing a message for somebody else, but seeing, letting God speak to me and letting God replenish me and letting God restore me. Can you say man? And I thought, oh my, what a, what a message for God to give. God don't want us to burn out. He don't want us to rust out, but He don't want us to burn out either. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I love to get in God's presence for me. I love to come to church not just to tell you something, but to hear something in my spirit from the Lord. Sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I'll hear God speak to me. And I say, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that above all the noise and the clutter and the distractions, I'm not just up on Saturday night trying to prepare a message. <laughs> Amen. All through the week, I'm preparing the messenger. You know what I found out if the messenger is prepared? The message will come. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Whether you stayed up all night, Saturday night, studied. Oh, I do study. But there is no... Listen, I got a message that I was going to preach this morning. One day He'll let me. <laughs> but it wasn't today. <laughs> Can you say amen? It is a good one. I got notes and antidotes. Can you say amen? I got all the stuff needed to really say something really good from God's Word on a great subject. But it wasn't for this morning. It wasn't for everybody that's here this morning. Praise God. I'm glad I have learned. There's no... Listen, God gave me this message. Someday I'll give it to you. It may be next Sunday. I have no idea. But I know somebody here that has been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Spirit needs to get a hold of the grace of God. They looked at Paul and just oh, put him on a pedestal. Tried to. At Mars Hill, they said, the gods have come down to us. 
the form of men. That's when he ripped his shirt open, his robe open, showed him his bare flesh, and said, Don't you dare look at me that way. There is a God, and I'm not him. Hallelujah. He pointed him to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he said, Not that we are sufficient as of anything, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of the Lord. Literally translated, it means we are all sufficient in His sufficiency. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because His what? His grace is sufficient. Glory to God. And His strength is perfected when we are weak enough to depend exclusively on Him. Glory be to God. God is so good today. Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet today? I'm going to ask just for a show of hands in just a moment. Is there anyone in this room who will say, Pastor, I need God's grace to undergird me and support me. I have the Holy Spirit. I have Christ as my Savior. But I need the sufficiency of His grace. Hallelujah. Just show me your hand. I need that. I need that. I need that. I need. See, God knows what you need today. Those of you that have something to say to others every Sunday, I want you to put the brakes on. Because as long as you're thinking about telling somebody else something, God can't talk to you. God can't talk to me if I'm preparing a message for you all the time. He can only talk to me when I be still in His presence, get open and honest and transparent, and listen for the Holy Spirit. If you think, if your ego, which is part of your flesh nature, is so determined to be known as a spiritual person, you've got to prove it to the rest of us every Sunday. You have a real maturity issue. Because if you really hang out with God all week like that, you don't need to impress nobody in this room. Amen? And if you feel that need, that's flesh. That ain't nothing but flesh wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to be put on a particular level. See, without love in your heart, you can give your body to be burned. It don't profit you nothing because God knows the motive is wrong. You can speak with the tongue of men and angels. And if it's just to be seen and heard and categorized as spiritual, and you don't really love people and want to see them saved and helped, let me tell you what those tongues are. Though they're the real Holy Spirit, He didn't say it wasn't legitimate tongues. He said it's sounding brass. It's tinkling cymbal. It's noise that brings the spotlight on you, but it doesn't help anybody. Do I have faith to move a mountain? And I just want to display my faith and not help somebody that needs deliverance or salvation. Profits nothing in the sight of God. No reward for that. None. Though I have all wisdom to understand all mysteries, I'm deep 
I see things no one else sees. And you won't use that knowledge to help somebody to reach, get in a practical, loving, helpful relationship where you speak a word of encouragement, reach down to somebody and lift them up, lift up the hands that hang down and strengthen the feeble knee. I've had prophets come. I had a dream interpreter come. After church, sitting in a hamburger joint, getting ready to eat a hamburger, guy that had come to church said, God gave me the gift of interpreting dreams. And I thought, you know, there's all kinds of gifts of the Spirit, and I'm sure God does interpret dreams sometimes. But he was going to come and let everybody tell their dreams so he could interpret it, what, what the spiritual meaning was. And uh, your pastor says, no, no. I find no gift of interpreting dreams. Yeah, but God gave me the gift. Well, it's, it's an extra biblical gift. There's a word of knowledge. It's a word of wisdom. I know what the gifts of the Spirit are. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Can you say amen? I'm not intimidated. I've had prophets come. I had apostles come. God come in and said, I'm an apostle. And I thought, so you say? I didn't say that. I'm not rude. But he knew I was not just going to buy it just because he said it. So he pulled out a business card. And sure enough, it said apostle so-and-so on it. And I thought, there you are. Well, that settles it. Bible said that he commended a church for trying those that say they're apostles and are not and found them to be liars. And boy, was he a liar. I decided since he presented himself that way, I was going to check him out. I checked out where he came from and what was going on at the church he left. And he was a messed up dude. But he was an apostle messed up dude. Had a guy come said, I'm a prophet. I want to come hold a meeting for you. And I thought, you know, God's going to have to tell me. You can't tell me. You can't tell me I'm responsible for this flock. Nobody, you can't walk in here and tell me what I'm supposed to do without God telling me. I'm going to give an account for these people. You're going to, Lord knows what you're going to do. God told me to tell you. No, He did not. No, He didn't. You know I won't listen. God knows I won't listen. I'm, I'm more mature in Him than that. I've been around the block. So He came to my home. And by the way, this tongue-talking guy, He came to my home. He said, listen, God told me to tell you because I have a revelation to the body of Christ. I said, Really? He said, yes. And that's back when I was young and intimidated. But, you know, the Holy Spirit, He'll rise up in you and say, don't you, don't you listen to that nonsense in the name of Jesus. He said, here's the revelation. Your church is going to miss it. He said, Jesus was not virgin born. He had an earthly father. And He went into His thing. And I'm waiting for him to get through. I'll let him finish. I'll let him finish. 
And I said, sir, I didn't call him brother because, you know, I said, sir, I've got Isaiah. And Isaiah is telling me, then this shall be a sign unto you. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. I got Isaiah, sir, a prophet in the Word of God. And then there's you. And here I am, having to choose between Isaiah and the Word of God and you. And I didn't have to say anything else. He got it. He turned around and he said, well, you're going to miss the blessing. And he spoke in other tongues to let me know how spiritual he was. That sounding brass. Tinkling symbol. Self-promoting, self-exalting. My dog's better than your dog. I've got a revelation you don't have, and it's the wrong revelation because when you want something to be seen of men, the devil can get in it and mislead you. Stay in the Word of God. Stand on the Word of God. Hallelujah. Declare the Word of God. It'll be a lamp to your feet and a light to your pathway. And he that followeth me, he said, will not walk in darkness. Glory be to God. So I've seen a whole lot of things. And I am absolutely convinced that Jesus is Lord, that He's coming soon, because the false prophets are here, the false apostles are here, the falling away has begun.